You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Everybody, how are you doing? Welcome back to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, Griffin Youngs, and before we get into our show today, first a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but it is also America's top-rated sportsbook, and it is not hard to figure out why. DraftKings Sportsbook is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all of the action. And if you want to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, this offer is a great place to start because DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. And all you have to do is pick any basketball team that is still in contention as we reach the Final Four, bet $1, and if that team wins that game, you win $100 in site credits. That's right, just pick any team, doesn't matter. If they're the favorite or the underdog, does not matter. One big pick. Any team you like to win their game, if they win, you will cash $100 in on just a $1 bet. But if basketball is not for you, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on just about every sport imaginable, including hockey, as we get into the nitty-gritty of the semi-final. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or, or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So I hope you guys have been enjoying your week so far as the semifinal. I almost called it the conference final again. As the semifinal rolls on as Tampa Bay and New York go back and forth, and as Montreal and Vegas put forth a fantastic series. By the time you're listening to this, you will know the result of the overtime between the Canadians and the Golden Knights. I am currently sitting here with the game tied 1-1 as it goes to overtime intermission. Just last episode, I was like, oh, Montreal's winning right now, or I think it was before the game, or they were up one nothing at that point. And that they're not going to beat Vegas. Vegas just won Game One at that point, pretty ha- pretty handily. And I was like, yeah, that's just, this is just not going to happen. Since then, Montreal has won two straight. They lead that series two games to one. Uh, we are currently watching the worst officiating I have ever seen. I feel like I say that every week, but. The officiating in this series for Montreal and Vegas has been nothing short of a joke. Do you know how bad officiating has to be for the broadcasting crews to start piling on? Like the national broadcast guys who basically trip over themselves to not blame officials at all times. Be like, oh, well, maybe that call isn't the best. Oh, I don't agree with that. For them to be like, yeah, this is just bad. Like on both NBC and Sportsnet, I've seen plenty of my Canadian followers saying that their guys have been ripping on Chris Lee, the official in this series, all all series long, and it's been it's been especially bad for Montreal. I mean, this officiating let's let's not be like patsy about it. It is in Vegas's favor. I mean, there's there's no two ways about that. That's not me being a, a salty Avs fan or anything. You, you're you watching this series being like, okay, the Golden Knights are just blatantly getting away with everything that they're doing on, on a national scale, and it's becoming an embarrassment. But Montreal has overcome it. I mean, it's been a 
especially bad in Montreal now that the series has shifted to Canada. And Montreal has overcome it a lot. They won game three in overtime. That had me losing my mind for a little bit. I'm, I am fully on the Montreal bandwagon, by the way. I am fully on that train. I hope they win the cup, even if we have to deal with annoying like Canadian fans for a while, acting like the, the cup is coming back home. It, it would be worth it. I mean, it's more interesting than Vegas winning a cup or the Islanders or defending champs getting another one. Not that I have anything against the... I mean, well... Tampa Bay would be fine, I guess. New York, eh. As a Caps fan, I'd rather not. And absolutely fucking not on Vegas. But to see what Montreal has done to Vegas in this series has been fascinating to watch. I mean, we saw I mean we all saw how Colorado struggled mightily against Vegas. It's no secret. I mean, we lost to them and our top line getting shut down and our defense struggling to contain a lot of their guys. And you're seeing Montreal, a team with, let's face it, significantly less talent than the Avalanche, taking it to them a little bit. I mean, Game 3, Vegas should have dominated. Carey Price absolutely stole that game for the Canadiens, and my God, he has been utter otherworldly in this series. Well, Marc-Andre Fleury has not been, but I believe that Vegas' top line, as of right now, before this overtime starts, as I'm recording this, that... Vegas' top line has one assist, and it's from Pacioretty in Game 3. And seven of their nine goals in this series have come from defensemen, which is fine by me because I've been playing my DraftKings lineups every single night for the conference finals. I've had Pacioretty as my captain for each game, and he has been bringing me home an extra 50 cents. I only play the small games, but seven of their nine goals have come from defensemen in this series. That is crazy. I mean, what happened here? Is Montreal just being powered by the power of friendship and about to knock off Vegas and Vegas all of a sudden just can't get going? I mean, Robin Leonard is starting for Vegas in this game. I mean, I didn't understand the the backlash behind that, by the way. I mean, Flurry has been fine in the playoffs and people are acting like he's the Con Smythe favorite. He He's not at all. I wouldn't even have him on my ballot if Vegas won the cup because of a lot of the gaffes he's had in every series. He's had his bad games against Minnesota. He had his bad games against Colorado. I mean, do we forget the goal that Saad scored on him in Game 5 to open that game? It's a miracle Vegas came back in that game, and he played fine after that, but that was an awful goal to give up. And he wasn't great in the closing game either. And then he has this gaffe in Game 3 against Montreal where... He just gives the puck to Josh Anderson. I mean, just completely loses the puck behind the net. And this is under two minutes to play. Vegas is winning. They're trying to close this game out. And he single-handedly gave it to them. And people are surprised that they're putting Robin Leonard in net. And now Robin Leonard, yeah, we lit him up in game one of our series against Vegas, 7-1 to on like, what was it, 37 shots? Yeah, that was bad and embarrassing for Leonard. And he didn't sniff the ice again in that series. But it also came out afterwards that Leonard was hurt after that game, if I remember correctly. He didn't come back to back up Flurry until around game four, I believe, or game five-ish. Like, they had one of their other, they had their third guy coming in to back up Flurry at that point. And so when it started to come out that Leonard was the first goalie off today, people were like, oh my god, Vegas is throwing the series, they're going to lose. Like, did we forget that Robin Leonard's actually good? Because he had one bad game against Colorado. And yeah, Flurry's been other otherworldly, or at least a little bit so far in this season. Leonard's still been just as good. I mean, he was the starter last year in the bubble for Vegas. Remember the whole Marc-Andre Flurry's agent tweeting out the, the picture of him with the Excalibur in his back? Are we going to get another one of that with Leonard starting? I mean, Leonard's only let in one goal so far in this game, and it was a breakaway. You can't blame him on that. I mean, Montreal should be should have already won this game in regulation. So, I don't get the backlash behind starting Robin Leonard when he's just as good as Marc-Andre Fleury is most of the time, but I gotta tell you, I, I will gladly eat shit on the words that I said about the Montreal Canadiens, even as recently as last episode. I gave... I. Didn't want what I said to come off as disrespect, but listening back to it, it was it was nothing but disrespect. I was completely dissing the Montreal Canadiens, and 
I mean, I didn't see this coming whatsoever. Like, not at all. I thought Vegas was just going to speed bag these guys and walk to the Stanley Cup final. And Montreal is, they've got a system. It's a really simple one, but they execute it to a T. And that's, that's, that's all it is in the playoffs. Like, the parity in this league is just so close that if you have a system, you just have to commit to it. That's all it is sometimes. I mean, we've seen, like, Colorado. I mean, that's still, in my opinion, as good of a team as you can build. And so is Vegas to a certain extent. But if Colorado did not execute their system against Vegas as well as they wanted to, especially in games 2, 3, and 4, if they do that in those games, they probably win at least one of them. But they didn't. They took their foot off the gas, and they paid for it. And Vegas executed their system better than we did, and they won. And now you're seeing Montreal do that to Vegas. I mean, they they have neutralized their top six. They've not even just their top six. They've neutralized their forwards in this series. The top line, as I said, has one assist, no goals. I mean, Chandler Stevenson is out, but, like, that's Chandler Stevenson. Solid player. I mean, I watched him in Washington before he got traded to Vegas. I mean, he won a cup in Washington against Vegas. He was always a fine player, and it was it was shocking to me that after he went to Vegas, he was all of a sudden their top-line center, but, and now he's their top-line center between Stone and Pacioretty. But the loss of Stevenson should not sink your team. I mean, he's a fine player, and apparently he was not getting the, the ice time he deserved in Washington, but... Top line center, I think, is a stretch for him. I think Vegas is well served to get another guy in the offseason. But the loss of him should not be what's sinking your entire team. And now against the lowest seed team in the playoffs, you can't get it done. I don't I don't think it has much to do with the loss of Stevenson as just Montreal is executing and Carey Price is standing on his skull and brain right now. And, like, the overtime just started for me. I'm going to record this episode and watch the game, maybe get a live reaction if I'm lucky at the same time. I have a feeling this overtime is going to go pretty deep just because of the the quality of play right now. I mean, nobody's getting a power play in this, as we've talked. I'm, gonna, I'm sure I can talk about the officiating more in a moment in this series. It's been nothing short of embarrassing for, for I mean, Montreal has just been getting screwed by it. It's a... It's an embarrassment for the league, honestly, to have officiating this poor. I mean, I brought up a point on Twitter just a few hours ago. It's like, how many games, just out of the last 20, the last 20 NHL games, has officiating been a front and center problem? I like, I'm not going to go back and count it, but like, I have a feeling it's a lot of them. And the fact that I can even believe that it's more than 10 and realistically probably about 15, maybe more, maybe all of them, is a joke. The NHL needs to burn their current officiating structure to the ground this offseason and just reevaluate how they call penalties in this league, especially in the playoffs, because it's embarrassing and it clearly favors certain teams and it should not be the case. Like I don't know if they... Officials don't want to influence games, but if you're not calling penalties, you are influencing the game. You're not doing your job, and you're favoring certain teams. Like, Braden McNabb just straight up punched somebody in the face and got away with it. Vegas just won the game. Nick Roy, Nick Roy, I guess, with the overtime winner. Vegas ties the series 2-2. That was a fast one. Looks like Pacioretty will probably get an assist on that, too. And so that series is tied. That changes a lot. So that's two stolen games for each team in Montreal. I mean, the puck always finds a way to not lie. I mean, Vegas should have won last game, and Montreal should have won tonight. And that's going to be, it looks like they're, I don't have sound, so I don't know what's going on, but maybe they're waiting for goalie interference. Montreal has not left the ice yet. And this puck, turnover by Sherratt. And kept in. You just got to get the puck out of there. Pacioretty is going to get the assist on that on the turning play. I can't. I can't imagine what they're waiting for here. Uh, that's that's that. This game's over. Vegas wins. That's a two-one overtime win. This series is tied, man. I mean, I said last episode I would be surprised if Montreal 
push this series five games. I mean, I would say I, I, say I wouldn't be surprised if they push the series five games, but six would be incredible for them, and they've guaranteed at very least a six-game series, but it's a series now. I mean, Montreal had a real chance to go up 3-1 in this series, just like Colorado did in game three. They had a chance up 2-1 to one to put this series away and go up 3 to nothing there, and Montreal here, they've got a chance to go up 3-1 to one and with a one nothing lead in the third. Braden McNabb sneaks one through, Carey Price, and they can't close it out. Vegas takes that game. Man, these are some fun playoff series. I had no enthusiasm coming into these two series about really either of them, least of all Vegas-Montreal, just because I guess I was bitter. But Tampa and New York is a is a show-stopping series right now. That is definitely going seven. I can't get enough of those two teams. And, I mean, this this is a a David versus Goliath kind of series here. But And David's putting up one hell of a fight. And, man, that series going back to Vegas, that game five is massive. I mean, that that this is a tough one for Montreal to lose. I, I, just, I just don't know if they can win a best of three against the Golden Knights with two games in Vegas. That's a tall order for them. And they stole the last game. I don't know if they can do that two times out of three here. So I hope they can. I'm fully on the Montreal bandwagon, but that's a tough loss for them. And now Vegas going back home with all that momentum with a quick overtime win. This is going to be a fun, fun series. And New York last night with that huge win. Ah, man, that that block by Ryan Pollock in the final seconds of that game, that gives me vibes of the save for the Capitals back in 2018 against Vegas. Like the kind of thing that just gets played on the replays over and over again for like the next two years when looking back at this run for the Islanders like that that felt like a turning point for me in the series like game five for both of these series are going to be fascinating games as must watch TV but you guys aren't here to listen to me talk for 18 minutes about other teams you're here for the avalanche so let's talk a little bit about the avalanche now now that we've gotten what's going on currently in the NHL out of our system last episode we talked about Gabe Landeskog and his upcoming contract with the Avalanche, because I don't think he's going anywhere. There there would have to be something significant on the way for Landeskog to be on the way out in Colorado. He's going nowhere. I think it's going to be a 7 times 7 deal pretty much, but I think the most fascinating contract for the Colorado Avalanche this upcoming offseason, or I guess this current offseason, because it's kind of already started, as we'll get into later, but is going to be Philip Grubauer, I do not know what they do with this guy. And I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. That came out wrong. I don't I don't know what they do with Philip Grubauer because now they're kind of in a they're in a tough spot here with Grubauer. He's up for the Vesna. He's not going to get it, but he's he's nominated for it. He's going to be one of the final 3. He's probably going to be third. And this is a rough time for your goalie to be needing a new contract because he's going to get paid whether it's the avalanche paying him or not and there is a certain amount of this fan base that believes that you should not pay philip grubauer and should just go on with somebody else there's the other part that believes grubauer should absolutely be the the goalie of this team for the future and I agree with both sides, honestly. I just don't really know what to do here because Philip Grubauer is the devil you know, at least. I am I am a big Philip Grubauer defender. I've had his back ever since he was in Washington, and I've never thought he was bad in Colorado at all. I still don't. And he was great this regular season, obviously. I mean, he's up for the Vesna. Played 40 games of 56. He would have played more if not for the the COVID bout that he had late in the year. He was a 9.22. That's no joke. Led the league in shutouts. I thought he was solid in the playoffs. 
I thought he was solid in the first half of the series against Vegas, and then once it got to the second half of that series, just not good enough. Just quite as, quite as simple as that, just not good enough from Grubauer. He got out-dueled by a flurry who wasn't even playing that well, and they couldn't get the saves that they needed, and... I'm not, I'm not pinning it on him. I don't want this to come off as I'm pinning losing that series on Grubauer. There are a plethora of other reasons why we lost that series to Vegas. But Grubauer didn't help. Like, an extra save or two would have been nice, at the very least. In Game 6, that first goal he let in kind of sunk that game from there. That was There was no way we, we were going to win that game no matter what after that first goal he gave up in Game 6. But just looking ahead at his contract and looking at the kind of money that goalies like him have gotten in recent years, there's not really a true comparable for him. And you look at Connor Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck in 2018 signs a six-year deal worth about $6.16 million. He signs that at 25 years old and... Just look at last offseason. Matt Murray signs a 6.25 extension with the Ottawa Senator. I get not really an extension. I guess it was an extension, but a new contract with the the Ottawa Senators. And probably the the most recent one that will be used as a comparable, fair or not, is Jordan Bennington, who gets a six times six deal with the Blues in the middle of last season that I made fun of them for. The the guys that. Uh, toasted St. Louis, formerly known as the Blue Notes Pod, made fun of them for and didn't like. But now we're kind of in that spot, and a six times six is kind is in the realm of possibility. Now my thing with goalie contracts is I don't like to give out long term to goaltenders unless they're a special case, like Andre Vasilevsky or even John Gibson in this case. Basically, young goaltenders who have undoubtedly bright futures like in that instance then yeah then you probably should be giving them long term but in the case of your Jordan Binnington's and your Matt Murray's and in this conversation Philip Grubauer I am not comfortable giving out anything more than I would say four years and even four might be pushing it because we all know that goaltending is just it's voodoo and it doesn't make any sense. It might it might as well just be coin flips every single year. Sure, Philip Grubauer was great this year in the regular season, and he's up for the Vesna this year, but can you guarantee to me with 100% certainty that he's going to be as good next year at 30 years old, or 29 still, but going into 30 next year? No, you can't. You just straight up cannot because you cannot quantify goaltending or make reasonable predictions for it no and i love philip grubauer and i'm actually in the camp that the avalanche should keep him but i can't be certain of that i mean you want to look at a cautionary tale you just have to look at san jose with martin jones i mean they thought martin jones was going to be their guy for several years when they signed him to his extension in 2017 they signed him to his contract in 2017 for 2018, and this was after Jones was, see, first season with the Sharks, 918, 912, 915, contract kicks in, 896, 896, 896. That's actually kind of funny that he went 896 consecutively for the next three seasons. That's actually really funny, but point is is that Jones was great for the Sharks I mean they the first his first year with the team they went to the Stanley Cup final to play Pittsburgh he was a 923 during that run and in the six games against Edmonton in 2017 he was actually a 935 how did they lose that series with Jones at a 935 and then in 2018, the year they lost to Vegas in the second round, he was a 915 in the regular season, and then a 928. That, if I remember right, that's the year that they swept the Ducks in the first round and lost to Vegas in six in the second round. He was a 928, so he looks to be every worth every penny of the 575 they just gave him that was going to kick in the next season. And at this point, he's 28, 29 years old. And he, he just craters off the face of the earth. 
He's an 896 in the regular season, an 898 in 20 games in the playoffs. I mean, that 2019 Sharks team, they had, this is the year they beat Vegas in the 3-1 comeback and then beat Colorado in round two and lost to the Blues in the conference final. If they could have just gotten some saves from Martin Jones or anybody else, they probably win the cup that year. They probably beat St. Louis if Jones can stop a beach ball. And who knows what happens if they go on to play Boston. But I'm getting off point here. My point is is that Martin Jones showed no indication of drop-off at any point. And then just one, one season, he showed up to work and he just didn't have it anymore. And Grubauer... I can't say for certain that his numbers would look like that. I'm not saying that it will, but can you guarantee to me that they won't? Now, that, that's basically the argument for not re-signing Grubauer. For me, for me, at least, that's the case for not giving him more than, I'd say, three or four years, especially for a 29-year-old goalie. Like, for me, it would hardly—he'd have to be otherworldly for me to justify giving him that kind of term. But I'm still in the camp that they should be signing Philip Grubauer because for all the arguments that I had just made and for all the arguments I've seen well, people saying, well, Grubauer sucks actually because he was bad in the final three games against Vegas and he's never taken a team that far, I have never heard a proper response to, okay, so if not Grubauer next season, then who? I have never once seen an actual, like, answer to that because I've no one has one because what do you what do you do if Grubauer walks in free agency let's say he goes to Edmonton in the offseason he gets he gets seven million dollars for six years or something let's just say let's say he gets that the avalanche they'll they would not give him that and they shouldn't give him that so let's say that happens he goes to Edmonton on that ridiculous year so then then what so if you if you make no moves for goaltending like just theoretically then next season, your goalie's under contract, uh, if you want to include RFA in that conversation, your goalie's under contract would be Pavel Francouz and Hunter Miska because Dubnik's up, Jonas Johansson's going to be a UFA. I don't know if they would re-sign him or not, but that's a question for another time. I guess we'll find out. But if you do nothing and you don't re-sign Grubauer, uh, your tandem is Francouz and Miska next year. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not necessarily comfortable with starting the guy who didn't play a single game last year because of injuries that were suffered outside of a game, and the guy that we were literally afraid of playing because he could not stop a puck at the NHL level. So if you don't sign Grubauer, you're going to have to do something, and what would that something even look like? Let's say you want to dip into the the free agency pool. You want to replace Grubauer with someone else. Well, if you're not re-signing Grubauer, then you're going to need somebody who is cheaper than that, but can also offer you a similar kind of performance. So some of the guys out there, Chris Trieger from Florida, played 23 games this season, was an 897. He's 27 years old. He's probably going to get a decent contract this offseason because Florida... They've got Spencer Knight coming up and Bobrovsky under a $10 million contract, so they're not going to keep him. You've also got Linus Olmark in Buffalo, a 917. I mean, we saw what happens when you pull a goalie out of Buffalo. And even Linus Olmark is, has been a solid goaltender throughout his career, even being in Buffalo. He's 27, only played in Buffalo his entire career. His lowest save percentage is a 905, and that was 2019. Last season, he was a 9-15, and this year in 20 games, dealing with injuries, he was a 9-17, behind the Buffalo Sabres. So, I wouldn't be opposed to signing Linus Olmark. You're, you are making one hell of a gamble, start making that guy your starter, because he just, you, you have no evidence of him being a starter. And... That's you'd, you'd be taking one hell of a chance. You, that's the simplest way to put it. But other guys, I mean, Auntie Ranta, he was a 905 in 12 games. He is, seems like he's always injured every time you look at him. There's Tuka Rask, but 
I don't know if he leaves Boston at all, and he's gonna. If he leaves Boston, he's gonna get a, a healthy contract somewhere, and he's also 34. So I mean, there are options if you let Grubauer walk, but you're also setting yourself up to fail by playing goalie musical chairs with free agency, and no one's just gonna give you a good goalie for free in a trade. I mean. I mean, do you want to talk to the Rangers about Georgiev in the offseason? I mean, you, I guess you can. I mean, both of Carolina's goalies are UFAs that are not Njelkovic. I can't imagine they bring either of them back. I mean, those two could be an option, but, like, it's really just the, it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. And I don't really even think Grubauer's that much of a devil. I think you can win a Stanley Cup with Philip Grubauer, you know, and I don't, the small sample size of those three games where the Avalanche were not playing well and relying on Grubauer all too much, I mean, that series could have been over in five easily if Grubauer didn't perform, and those games could have been far worse if he wasn't playing to his best. So it's a little unfair to pin it on him like that. I mean, Quite simply, he was not good enough in the final three games of that series. They needed him to be a little better, but the blame does not fall entirely on him. So I really do think that they they should bring him back. Anything between $6 million and $6.5 million would be my maximum comfort level in terms of AAV. I'd be willing to go higher on like a shorter two- to three-year deal, maybe. But with goaltending and... I love Grubauer. He's just not a sure thing. No no one outside of a select few goaltenders are ever a sure thing in the NHL. Grubauer is not an exception to that rule. Like it's it's nothing personal with him. Like I just don't trust goalies. They 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 just disappear sometimes. They just fall off the face of the earth never to be seen again sometimes. And is Grubauer going to be that? I, I don't know, but he's 29. He's been in the league for a while, and he was healthy last year, but his injury history has not been positive in the past. I, ju- I just can't bring myself to be overly comfortable with a long-term contract. Resigning him, I am comfortable with, but five, six years, I think you you're setting yourself up to fail at that point. I think you are not putting yourself in a good spot anything under four i think my maximum comfort level i think would be 6.5 times four it's not ideal maybe like if he does just all of a sudden suck out of nowhere you're still gonna have to deal with it but four years you can deal with and 6.5 would not be debilitating and grubauer is gonna get paid like he deserves to get paid he's had a fantastic season and he's been a, a very solid goalie for a couple years now. But when it comes to long term, I just can't bring myself to be comfortable with that. And like I said, it's nothing personal with Grubauer and his play. It's just goaltending is voodoo. It just doesn't make any sense sometimes. And I don't know, the, the argument I've seen against Grubauer and his Vesna nomination is that he played behind the best defense in the NHL this season, and maybe there's some merit to that, and I don't know. I really just do not know what they do here. I don't know if Sackett can get creative with this. Like, I don't know if you really can get creative with goaltending because it's such an immense risk in order to do so. It's the most important position in the sport and probably one of the most important and volatile positions in all of professional sports, I don't know if you can really afford to get risky and creative with it. Like, I think you just have to go with the devil you know, and the improvement for this coming season needs to be you need to have a better alternative than Hunter Miska. And I know we didn't expect Pavel Francouz to be hurt for all of next year, but if you're going into next year with the same goaltending, you're setting yourself up to fail. And, like, I mean, what are the odds that Francouz misses another season? But... You saw what happened when you didn't have a solid third goalie. That's why I think they should keep Jonas Johansson. I think he was pretty solid behind the Avalanche's defense. And as a third goaltender, I really don't think that's hurting you. I mean, if Sos is healthy, 
JoJo probably sees like what? Five games over the course of an 82-game season? I don't think that's going to hurt you at all. I think JoJo would be fine as a third option, but when it comes to Francois, I mean, he just needs to be healthy, and he hasn't played hockey since last year, so it might be a while before he finds that groove again. And also, Francois is not exactly proven when it comes to being an NHL goalie. He's 31, and he's he played one season in 2019-20 before the before the pandemic and when it came to the playoffs he was bad and then he got hurt so I can't tell you that I'm overly comfortable having him as the backup goalie you got to do something in goaltending like there's got to be another option there for a backup goalie you're going to need Grubauer to be your your number one I don't know if you can bring in a a 1B to be with. If you can bring in a 1B for Grubauer, that would be ideal, but you do have Francois signed for this next season at $2 million, so unless you buy him out or you move him, he's going to be here. So I don't know, maybe you have Grubauer as your 1, and then you have your 2A and 2B with Francois and maybe somebody else. I don't know who that would be, but... It's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see what they do with Grubauer because there is a there are numerous numbers of ways this could go and it doesn't just end at the contract getting signed. I mean, the fact of the matter is is that we cannot offer Grubauer what other teams can offer him. Like a team like Edmonton in desperate need of goaltending, who's gonna actually have some salary cap space this offseason, can offer him that seven million dollar contract long term and just probably better security than what the avalanche can give him i mean the avalanche can do it i just think it would be a mistake and you just you don't sign 29 year old goalies to contracts longer than four years i just think that's a mistake but the avalanche are going to get outbid on grubauer by teams like edmonton or another another team that just is in need of goaltending like there are teams that would be willing to give money to Grubauer in the offseason. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, I want to keep Grubauer. I love him. I think he's a solid option for this team and has proven himself to be a solid starting option for this team. And I I still do believe that you can win a Stanley Cup with him. You just need to play a little better in front of him than that. And Grubauer stole plenty of games this season, and he stole his share of games in the playoffs as well. You can win a cup with him. I'm not uncomfortable having him on the team. I'm just, my un, my discomfort comes from the whole position of goaltending. I just, there's nothing to be comfortable about. It's such a volatile position, and goalies who have it one year just never have it again for unexplicable reasons. And goalies who just are AHL goalies one year and don't seem like they're ever going to make believe all of a sudden just figure it out one day there there are goalies who figure it out when they turn 30 like it's just it's a completely nonsensical position that there's really no way to quantify for future performance yet that's where my discomfort from comes from I love Grubauer and I hope they do keep him but I just don't know what they do with this. I don't know what any team does with expiring goaltenders at a certain point. Maybe it would just be better to sign him and have him with security for long term and if it and if it blows up in your face after that, deal with it then. But I it's just none nothing with goaltending ever makes sense and Grubauer is going to be a very interesting case and I wonder what his ask is going to be because if it's too high and too long then I wouldn't be comfortable with keeping that around with a 29-year-old goalie. I just wouldn't be. Because when you get to the later years of that contract, I mean, there's there are ways you can figure out goaltending, and there would be some options in free agency, but you're, you're taking one hell of a risk if Grubauer walks away. You better have one solid plan in place, and if it falls apart, you're kind of shit out of luck, so... I hope they keep him. My maximum comfort level would be 6.5 times 4, 6.5 million a year for four years. I think that would be my maximum. I I just don't... 
he wouldn't take that like a shorter term contract. This is his time to get paid. Like he's not gonna be. He might take lower term, or not lower term, a lower AAV or a lower cap hit. But he's not gonna take lower term. I mean, this is his time to get security and get paid. So I don't know if you might just have to bite the bullet on it and sign him long term if you want to. But we'll just have to see. That's gonna be an interesting contract to follow throughout the off season for the team. And man, just looking at this entire offseason for the league as a whole, I mean, how could it possibly suck? Like last year, I was plenty hyped for the offseason. I thought there was going to be a lot of things that teams had to do because of money getting squeezed out. We were all completely wrong on that. But this offseason, it can't possibly suck, right? With the Eichel trade rumors and the Seattle expansion draft and just all the the free agents that are up. I mean, Buffalo alone is going to make this offseason fascinating. I think this offseason and next season, there's going to be a lot of changes, it, just in terms of standings and important players on important teams. Like, there's going to be a lot of things that change and really shake up the league. And, it, like, I, I feel like we're owed that after the disappointment that was last offseason and things staying the same. I mean, I've seen a lot of people talking about, well, can Colorado get Jack Eichel from Buffalo? And while that is a fun idea, and while I would absolutely love that, it's I just wish it was more feasible because there is just some, there would have to be backflips done by Joe Sackick and his staff in order to make that work. Because alone, that just to fit the deal, you're going to have to put Kadri and and Eric Johnson into that deal. That's $10.5 million right there. So that pays for it. But you're also probably going to have to include a ton of prospects and everything, and you, you got to pay him for $10 million for the foreseeable future. Like, I just don't see how that works. As much as I would love Jack Eichel and as much as that would make this team borderline unstoppable... I just don't see the fit there. And Sam Reinhardt, the same thing. I mean, it sounds more realistic, but the Avalanche, they just, they don't really need that kind of winger right now. And the kind of money that he would get paid would almost ensure that an important player like Landeskog or someone else is going out the door. I mean, that's why I think you've got to re-sign a lot of your UFAs and the guys you want to sign now. And I know Sackick's probably working on it, but like your Makars and your Landis Gogs and your Josts and Grubauer too, I think you want to get those done sooner than later. I don't think you want to leave those up to the, the closing days right before free agency. I think you want to wrap those up now and just get them done. So you have an idea of what you can spend and what everything is going to look like for the off season because there's just, there's going to be so much potential for moves and you don't want to waste any time trying to make your cap calculations work internally and just figure everything out now. I mean, like I've said before, this team should not be panicking about anything. They lost to a solid team in the postseason, but I still think that to a certain extent, we're still going to see a, a different Avs team next year whether intentionally or not. Like with Kadri, who knows? Sakic always has something up his sleeve. It's the final year of his deal. Burakovsky, I think, is an underrated player that could be moved, not because they don't like him, but I think if there's a big deal that comes down for the Avalanche, Burakovsky would be a player that would get moved out as part of a larger package just because he has almost a $5 million cap hit and he's a UFA next year. I mean, I love Burakovsky. I am the the captain of the Burakovsky train. He is a guaranteed goal when your season is on the line. And in a full 82-game season, he might be pushing 30 goals next year. I would not want to see him go at all, but if the right deal comes along, I wouldn't be surprised. Same with Kadri. And it'd be interesting to see what they do with JT Kompfer. I mean, there's there's almost just not enough room for everyone, especially on the defense. If, if Eric Johnson does indeed come back next year, 
you've basically got your, you don't really even need to add anything on defense, least of all Seth Jones, who I've seen the rumors about all offseason. You do not need to do that whatsoever. Seth Jones is not a fit on this team, and the galaxy braining that I've seen to try to make that a thing is just not going to work. But, like, if Graves doesn't get taken by Seattle, you've just got a huge logjam of defensemen, all the way from McCarr, Taze, Gerard, you're including Graves here, and then Byram, and then Eric Johnson, then you've got Connor Timmons in the mix, and yada, yada, you've got, it's just such a clog up there, and Jacob McDonald, too, like, You've got eight solid NHL defensemen right there, and probably one of them's going to have to go. I imagine Graves is going to get taken by Seattle. I think that's going to be my pick, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if a Donskoy got taken instead by Seattle. But someone's going to have to go on that defense in order to make room. I mean, Eric Johnson, maybe you buy him out. I mean, especially if he doesn't waive his no-movement clause. I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. But if he doesn't, maybe you buy him out and you save $4 million on the cap for the next two years and spend an extra $2 million on the cap the two years after that. Maybe you can trade him. I don't know. But there's just going to be such a logjam of players right there. And I am just so interested to see what Joe Sackick does because I am not nearly a smart enough person to look at this and start to figure out what to do here with this team. There's just so much to do. And I have full faith in Sackick that he'll figure it out and put together a really strong offseason like he always does and really blow us away with another big move that nobody saw coming. But he and his staff have their work cut out for him. And that Grubauer contract, I'm very interested to see what they do there. But before we do wrap up, there is one other story that I wanted to hit. It doesn't have to do with the Avalanche, but it has to do with probably their one of their biggest competitions in the Central next season. That's Minnesota Wild and Kirill Kaprizov and the rumors of him potentially going back to Russia and the KHL fucking what what how is this not a massive story right now if Kaprizov leaving after one year in Minnesota and going back to Russia would completely screw them over first of all and I I don't like there was one report by Kevin Weeks like a few days ago that apparently he's in talks with like CSGO Moscow or some whatever that team is over there but I don't I still don't fully understand what is going on with this, but okay, here's the tweet from Kevin Weeks where this was first reported that NHL network analyst Kevin Weeks tweets this saying, as of now, with likely rookie of the year Kaprizov and Minnesota Wild talks have gone cold. My understanding is he's in Moscow and it's believed CSK. K.A. Moscow is interested in signing him for KHL and Olympics. Now, Michael Russo of The Athletic also wrote an article about this saying that Kaprizov is in Moscow for a, a wedding and Garen was given warning that if rumors began to swirl, that's why he's in Moscow for a wedding, but... Apparently, he's also saying that Minnesota wants to sign him to a seven- to eight-year deal right away, and weirdly enough, Kaprizov's camp is looking for a shorter-term deal. But the the way that tweet was worded, just how does that not send a shiver up your spine if you're a Wild fan? Because there's the possibility that he might not be there next year. I mean, and that's real leverage for him over Minnesota, even if that rumor is just complete bullshit. And that's leverage for him and his camp. He can hold Minnesota to the flames and demand a massive contract from them on like a short-term deal just so they keep him. And, I, I mean, the KHL and definitely the Moscow team would definitely be interested in signing Kaprizov again and pulling him back from the NHL. I, I won't, I cannot for the life of me even begin to understand why Kaprizov would ever want to go back to the KHL after winning the Calder this year and being, and he scored 27 goals this year, I think. And 
if he continues to grow or over the course of an 82 game season, we're like, what are we talking? Are we talking closer to 40 goals in a season? But my God, I mean, can you even imagine for a second if that actually happens and Kaprizov does go back to Russia and doesn't play with Minnesota anymore, like just plays one season, wins rookie of the year, and then just dips to go back to Russia? I mean, that would just be unbelievable. And like the word from Kevin Weeks is that the talks have gone cold. Actually, here's an interesting little tidbit from uh, Russo in his article in The Athletic, is that Kevin Weeks was represented by Kaprizov's agent during his playing days. That's actually really interesting. Okay, now that makes a lot more sense. Okay, so I can give you a pretty good idea of what's going on here. Kirill Kaprizov's agent is pulling just a leverage move right here. This is pure leverage right now. He is trying to hold Minnesota to the flames. There's some disparity between them and contract talks, and he's using Kevin Weeks, who is a prominent member of the hockey media, especially on NHL Network, and reporting to him that talks have gone cold in order to put pressure on the Minnesota management that they need to capitulate to their demands. That makes a lot more sense. That like, that really should not be buried near the bottom of that article. I mean, Weeks just so happened to be represented by the same agent of Kaprizov while he played, and he's the one to report that. That's just Kaprizov's camp attempting to get leverage in there now that I'm looking into this a little more. But can you even imagine for a second if that happened? That would be hilarious honestly as an avalanche fan we don't want kaprizov in the central anymore if he has to go back to russia then all the better but i think that's going to do it for this edition of the tell it abs it is podcast off-season edition again with grubauer i think they're going to keep him i just don't know what that contract is going to look like and i just don't know what the alternative would be instead of him that would give you the same kind of production so we'll see what happens with that and this offseason is just going to be so much fun and these two semi-final matchups going up going on right now a lot of fun both tied at two tampa and new york coming up on monday night and game five between vegas and montreal coming up on tuesday night it's going to be a fascinating ride to the finish to see who hoists the stanley cup this season but we're still a ways away from the avalanche coming back. We haven't even hit the draft or anything yet. It's going to be a long, kind of, what is it, three and a half months, four-ish months until the avalanche are back again back in mid-October. But thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time. Enjoy your week. Thank you.